You have found the place to be. This is the Self-Love Peddler Show. I'm Sophie McCallum, your personal self-love peddler. Please leave the single narrative, airbrushed, beauty bot images you have been forced fed at the door. Here we examine our relationship with our bodies and the many shapes and nuances our bodies have. The only way to end women's cycle of body shaming, judgment, and self-loathing is through a common pact and plan to change the way we collectively think about our bodies and the bodies of those around us. Welcome to the journey. Hi, welcome back to the Self-Love Peddler Show. I am so excited today to have Galt V. Niederhofer. (laughs) How many people would know about the V? Uh, That's my Uber name, Victoria. Oh, really? Galt was born without a middle name. You know, (laughs) the tragic story. Galt was born in 1975 (laughs) without a middle name. So she gave herself one. Anyway, um, Galt and I grew up in the same building in Manhattan. It was a building on which there were two apartments per floor. We went to the same elementary school for 10 years. We were in the same grade. We were best friends. We are best friends. And um, we really grew up with our doors wedged open and flowing back and forth to one another's apartments like siblings. Like siblings. But with different parents. Very different households, but we were siblings. And Galt has a younger sister. I have an older brother. I have three older brothers, but one that lived in the home in which I grew up. And, you know, Galt's younger sibling is not my sister, and my older brother is not her brother. But Galt and I are sisters. Not to say we don't love those guys, but you and I really, I share memories with you that I share with no one. So I could cry thinking about it. So many phrases come to mind. Like, um, you know how people say chosen family? Yeah. Well, we didn't actually choose each other. Well, it's so when you talk about the mirror image apartments, it's as though you're speaking like a page from my book, right? my mental book. When I describe growing up, it's with our two literal mirror image apartments. In the same bedroom of said apartments. Like, you know... Tweedledum and Tweedledee, just equal but opposite. Mm. Physically, the format of the apartments, but different parents, different cultural experiences, and different religions, different religions, different values, different identities. And I always saw yours as good and ours as weird. I learned a lot from yours. I learned, I would say, everything from yours. I was always following your example and your parents' example as though they were my chosen parents. My mother loves you. And as though your par- your home was my chosen home. And that's not just because it was more tidy and neat and lovely, but I loved your mother. You I- guys had unlimited television. <laughs> you had a Betamax before anyone and Betamax tapes. You ordered sushi and Chinese food with lobster claw shells in the sushi containers. It was very extravagant. There was it was it was loud and full of music. And I mean, I love your grandparents. Like I I know everything. I know everything. It's about, crazy. I can't I can't even look at you without being flooded by like completely disparate memories. Like 
I'm picturing a bamboo little suitcase basket that had your Sandra D costume with your blonde curls. I still have that basket. The black spandex leotard, the black spandex stirrup tights, the stilettos, everything you need to dress up as Sandra D in 30 seconds flat. And I'm picturing your mother's ribbon closet with grosgrain ribbon of every different color, the most beautiful textures and array of hues and shades. And I'm also picturing the watercolor painting that your father made that you posted recently of a tree with hearts for flowers. And God, I could just, I could spend a day or a lifetime of therapy just literally listing the images and the ideas that your family and your home imprinted on me. I am thrilled to introduce you to my newest course, Mastering Your Love Centers Through Conscious, Compassionate Self-Love. Your love centers are your main areas in your life in which you put energy. Our goal together is to encompass these centers with conscious, compassionate self-love so that this boundless and self-expanding love can grow into the life we have always known we were meant to live. Someone once asked me, what are you waiting for? This one question sparked the light in my soul. At the time, I was living unconsciously, without intention, without awareness, without love and balance. Bringing conscious, compassionate self-love to our centers helps us identify where we're placing our energy and where we want or need fulfillment. Now I ask you, what are you waiting for? Join me inside of Mastering Your Love Centers Through Conscious, Compassionate Self-Love. We were really lucky to have each other. Really lucky. And what I just, I mean, you and I could reminisce for like 14 days here. But focusing in on what we're here to talk about is our bodies and our relationship to our bodies, how we think about our bodies. And um, you and I grew up as girls in New York City in an all-girls private school, very, very competitive, pretty stressful environment. You got me through academically. I am not stupid, but I certainly thought I was back then, and I stressed out so much every time there was a test, and you held my hand, and you stayed up late, and you helped me study, and you were a straight-A student, and you, God, you, you carried me, so thank you for that. Well, I wish that you had had half of the confidence that I had in you because you carried me emotionally and socially and ideologically and culturally and musically. It's a really interesting, I mean, now that we're parents, that we're moms, like it wasn't just good luck that our parents got, you know, had babies at the same time and lived in this safe neighborhood where the the doors could be open. It was, you know, it wasn't just free childcare and wonderful playmates for the kids. It was it was really the gift of another family's values mm-hmm. and culture to influence your own family and to offset the the flaws and the shortcomings of, you know, for one family by sort of melding these two together. Yeah, absolutely. It goes with, it should be said probably first off that we're Jews and you're not, (laughs) you're waspy, you know, you're Protestant and, and we were not. And that you, as I saw it, you were beautiful. You are beautiful. And I always saw you as perfect. And I always saw myself as not. Well, that is a really common narrative in women is that 
we can't see the beauty in ourselves because I did not think I was perfect. I felt fat. I always knew I had a pretty face, like a conventionally pretty face, because people said things to me when I was little, like, oh, she's going to be such a heartbreaker. Like, it's such a fucking stupid thing to say to a six-year-old, you know, like, like that becomes your identifier, you know, and you lead with the visual when people tell you you have a pretty face. Um, and then when you have a school that's making you feel like you're stupid, it's like, okay, well, at least I have a pretty face, but my body feels disgusting. And I did things, I hurt myself physically as a child and through substances as a teen. And a lot of it stemmed from my feelings about my physical form. I've avoided that issue for years because it seems so fucking superficial. Like I'm so smart and accomplished. Why can't I accept myself? But it's like the final piece for so many people. And for so many people, it's the final piece because they're trying to attain a level of beauty and an image of beauty that doesn't even fucking exist. I mean, so you may yeah. have seen me as perfect, but I didn't feel perfect and I didn't see you as imperfect. I believe that knowing what I know now, but God, if you could have seen yourself as I saw you, I, I imagined the whole world saw me as I was, which was fat and freakish freakishly fat, but fat, therefore a freak. And I don't think, you know, as you say these things and we talk about our friendship, our families, our lives through this lens, the lens of appearance and body image as a woman, I don't think there's really anything I've ever done <laughs> that wasn't really determined by that negative, hateful, disgusted view of myself. That continues today? You know, in the last couple of years, well, I'd say like throughout my life, I've had times where I felt um, different than that girl, beautiful, even hot, skinny, pretty. Um, but it's been in phases and it's always been with obsessive and usually very self-destructive and sometimes, you know, dangerous acts of exercise, deprivation, eating disorders, disordered mm -hmm. eating, you know, an addiction to changing my body that pervades everything, mm. every thought, every action, every minute of the day. And I wish that were so were odd. This sounds it's like it sounds no, like confessional, but it's like I could say the exact same thing. Right? Exact same thing. But I've ended it. <sighs> Not all the time, but for the most part. And it's a it's a constant battle. But it's it's got to stop. It's almost like as a mom, when you decide to just uh, not worry about your kids, it's this rare moment where you're like, either they're all at home safe after curfew or on or a school night. Or you got to let go. <laughs> or you're like, okay, I'm just not going to – I'm not going to think about them for 10 minutes or an hour or a night. But then as soon as you do, you think, oh, my God, what have I done by not thinking about them? What if something terrible has happened? What if my – detachment is going to cause I don't do that but it's similar for with food right in that like shedding the obsession mm -hmm. is terrifying it's much scarier to like go of the obsession than to live ruled by it so in answer to your question like how am I feeling doing this now I was doing awesome because I lost like 40 pounds during the pandemic and I've exercised like a motherfucker I basically stopped eating and uh and that to you is is doing awesome 
Well, I I felt at 45 and 6 like I'd never looked better or I hadn't looked that good since my early 20s. And I'd also just gained a, sh a, a lot of weight just prior to that because of some some life life, life shit. But it's like it's like the weather outside, you know. It has more of an impact on how you're going to feel than the weather or the time of month. Do you think that your feelings about your body stem from wanting to please yourself or wanting to please other people? It's one and the same. My desire to look and feel thin feels like a necessity for other people, for me to feel like I'm respected mm -hmm. by other people and therefore like I feel good about myself. But like, you know, the, the problem is it's not a delusion. <laughs> There's no. having been fat and having been skinny, people treat you different. Like your whole world changes. When you're skinny and hot, you know, you're a sex object and you have your option of, you know, men and fun and flirtation and romance and sex. And it's the gift that keeps on giving because the better you feel, the better all of that goes. But do you think that could be because you make a, a choice to put yourself out there more when you're thin? I just think it's also it's also tied, you know, like you feel sexy in bed because you feel like your body looks a certain way to your partner and to you. And so you're more uninhibited and you're mm -hmm. more... But if Three. you knew you had a partner who loved you any way you came. I wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it. And I, <laughs> I and just wouldn't believe it. I would think it was. That's where it's changing how we think about ourselves, right? Like, I would think it was some like bullshit, sex, you know, body positive trend on Instagram where people are pretending they think it's sexy to be a plus size model or like. And I'm here to say that I think it is sexy to be a plus size model. I'm here to say that if you make conscious changes about the way you think about bodies, your your brain can shift. I if, I believe that. I believe that's possible. I've just especially through love. Like love is everywhere. Love is carrying us all. We've all loved, it exists. And when you extend that love to all the different women out there and all the different forms of beauty out there and you learn to see beauty in everyone, you see it more read readily in yourself. Like it, it's a way to let go of the shame and the feeling of I have to look a certain way to be worthy and to be valued. I really think that the, the control is in our minds. Theoretically, I agree with you. You know, and it's it's like any practice, whether that's the discipline of yoga or meditation or staying grateful. Mm. You know, gratitude is this like word that people throw around. But what that has meant to me is like when you lose something, when you lose shit that's valuable, and then you have the incredible opportunity to get it back, that is when I have felt deep, like body deep gratitude. And it's when you feel that you think like, I will never lose this mm. humility, this sensitivity to the beauty, the goodness, the awesome ecstasy of life. And it's good, you know, and it's many, many riches. 
But it's very easy to lose that humility, the appreciation, and the you know whatever it takes to retain that presence. So, well, I think that, I mean, there. Are, you know, you can be a monk if you want to be, but it's it's not so easy to stay in this constant state of like blissful gratitude and awareness of everything you have. One thing that someone said to me once though about gratitude and gratitude lists was if you're struggling to find gratitude, make a list and imagine that when you wake up in the morning, the only things that are going to exist in the world are the things you've put on that list. Mm. And that really helps me get back to like fresh air or like Mm. my mattress. Wow. Coffee. <laughs> I guess, you know, there are things more important than coffee, but I can't. <laughs> it's up there. I can't think of many. Um, so bodies. You and I got to go through puberty together. <laughs> Woohoo! Wasn't that a treat and a half? Um You started first. I did? I think well, I have a horrible memory of my childhood. What? What do you mean? I what, you, what started first? My nips? No, like, your puberty. Your, oh, it did. Well, I am a, almost a full year older. No, not really. It's the, the same year. About? You turn the year older in the like. We're and eleven then, months apart, but, and I am older. But for a month, we're the same number. We're the same age. Okay, but it is really true that I am almost a full year older. You are almost a full year older. I'll give you that. Okay, thank you. You'll give it to me because it's a fucking fact. <laughs> I love that we're mostly the same age. We are mostly the same age. Sort of. Yeah, except for that year. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so I went first. What do you remember about my puberty? Because I don't. Well, I just know you were looking like a teenager first. And that meant like that cool ass hair, that mm. like bleach blonde I had that platinum bleached hair that was hot. Really cool and like kind of ahead of ahead of our time. Did I used you to have go bangs? Down, no, no, I didn't have bangs then, but I used to go down to Astor Place. Like I would sneak down to Astor Place and get my hair bleached. And I just remember the pain of my scalp burning and burning. It, it doesn't burn the same way as it did like the well, old bleach. Yeah, it was like – that was 1988. Like what? <laughs> that was more just like full peroxide than the Radioactive shit that I do bleach, now. Right. But you had the whole like look. You had your Doc Martens and your our school kilt that you wore super short with like just the perfect rip and the perfect pin, and then tights. Always tights because I was so terribly self conscious about my thighs and my cellulite. Well. To me, you just had – you had perfection coined. You did. And then meanwhile, Fatty McGee over there on the on the west side of the building, I was like – first of all, I had gone through some like – Excuse me. You're the east side of the building. Oh, that's right. Sorry. Yeah. We're I need. Um, I My memory has clearly You remember suffered. the past, but I'm a little – I'm better with the facts apparently. Very much. See? Fact checker McGee over here. Aren't we a couple of cool kid McGee's? Can you? Okay, like, so let me take you back. Tell me if you can remember the enormous, like, weight gain that happened, not just to me, but also to my sister when we were, like, just prepubescent. It was, like, I think we both gained, like, 50 or 60 pounds. I mean, there were good reasons for this because mm -hmm. of family. You had a lot going on. Troubles. But um, so that was my entree into puberty, like needing to shed 
oh, wait. And then seventh grade, this is a good memory. In seventh grade at our like very proper girls' school, being called into the office of our homeroom teacher, Mrs. Chapin, with the head of the middle school, Ms. Prophet, there to say they were concerned because my weight had gotten no concerning. You never told me that. Oh, yes, I did. And mm. you consoled me my in tears. I was in I'm tears. Sorry, I, I don't remember. Oh, you were so you were so angry and so protective and just pissed that they would dare to say such a thing. But anyway, that I was... I remember taking on your father when he would tell you to run up and down the stairs to lose weight. And I remember getting in his face and being like, no, she is not. You fuck off. <laughs> and the worst part about that whole thing is he loved my chutzpah. Uh, he did. So it just like backfired and like he threw more like anger at you and was like, that Sophie's really something. He really did. Yeah. But um... No, so that was like the beginning of puberty for me, like coming down from like, I don't know, 150, 140, 12. And that was when my mom first took me to a nutritionist. And then we went to a fat farm that summer and I started my my weight loss journey. But um, I got my period a lot later than you did. I remember your weight loss journey. And then that was <laughs> your mother right after you, you lost weight that first time, got all of those black and white pictures taken of you and Katie in Connecticut. <laughs> And do you remember that thing you would do with your chin to try and look thinner? Oh, I still do that. No. It's not a thin thing. It's more just like, you know, finding it's your so angle. It's so stupid looking. I told you it was <laughs> stupid back then. You like, got like pushes her chin forward, like gives herself this fucking underbite. It's not You were conscious. lucky enough to have your teeth fixed as a kid. And oh, well, they, well, they've okay. since. But um, no, that's not even conscious. But now it's more like, you know, because I'm in the film business now i know how to find my profile or my light so yeah no that like i said those were a great series of pictures oh my god they're so but and katie hadn't lost weight at that point and (laughs) we were like the 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 chubby twins you guys had a lot of shit to deal with in your childhood (laughs) and we don't have to get into any of it maybe another day no, but let's stick honestly, with as so, as your oldest and dearest friend, hold space for that little girl and send her love because that that shit was n- not easy what you went through. And I had the luxury of when things got a little crazy, just I'm gonna go back home now. But at my house too, you know, I had a mother who was sat on the sofa and in tears for four years. I don't know if you remember my mother's depression, but. You know, everybody has stuff. Everybody has trauma. Everybody's trauma is different. But we all have it. And we can share it. And we can learn from it. And we can go back. And we can love that woman that went through the trauma. And love her into a place where she can go forward. And I've done that with myself. I've done that with my clients. And, you know... I wish I could go back to seventh grade Galt and be like, dude, you are awesome. You are going to have an incredible life. You are going to accomplish so much. Let me tell you about your kids. You know, let me, it's just like, let me tell you everything that you're going to be and you're going to do. And I guess I can't go back to seventh grade Galt, but I can go to Galt today because, you know, you still, when we meet every time, one of the pretty much the first thing you mention is where you are in your weight loss journey. Like, hey, Galt, I love you. It's so great to see you. Like, you know, I'm so fat or, oh, I lost weight or like you're, you're still leading with it and you're 
so beautiful on the outside and you are so accomplished. And I just, I hope you see, just as you say to me, when we were younger, you wish that I could see myself the way you saw me. I wish you could see yourself today as I see you, because like you blow my mind with the things you accomplish. I feel I'm totally in awe. If you are craving to go deeper on your self-love and body love journey, please join me inside my private Facebook group, The Self-Love Shack. We meet once a week to continue our discussions and go deeper. You can also check out my self-love courses and coaching options at selflovepeddler.com. Follow the link in the show description for more details. I leave you with this. The only way to end women's cycle of body shaming, judgment, and self-loathing is through a common pact and plan to change the way we collectively think about our bodies and the bodies of those around us. Sending you peace.